This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Thursday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Houston Astros Winning the series two games to one. It is their third series win of the year. Their first series win at home. They are now in fourth place in the American League East. One spot up from the last show. 13 games behind the New York Yankees. Four and a half games out of the third wild card spot. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight from the city of Westwood, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm fired up. That was uh that was a great great game from Nick Pavetta and you know he was bringing the energy the whole night so Red Sox win another series and oh maybe things are slowly falling apart for the Mets that's always a nice little nice little side bonus so yeah I'm feeling pretty good Max Scherzer took himself <sighs> yeah. out of the game in the sixth inning eighty uh, something pitches it was almost a, a full start certainly by Red Sox standards not named Nick Pavetta. But uh, we'll get into some of that later. Also joining us tonight from the mile-high city of Denver by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan. The energy is about to shift. We'll you just keep it with the Boston theme. Yeah, no, th- this was a great Red Sox series. Um, a little more pep in the step right now going with the pod. And you just feel a lot better after what we saw these last couple nights, middle night, uh, not included. It was a very unexpected uh, series win for sure. I, I meant to look up the Astros last uh, several games, but they uh, haven't lost many games in the last couple of weeks. So it seemed like, like, Oh no, we're not, this isn't the time you want to face them. And the one saving grace, you're not facing Verlander. You're not facing, uh, Valdez so that we had that going for us but but this is the type of series that that could turn a season I I absolutely think it could I think this is one of those 
momentum swinging kind of games. I mean, the series itself was, but I just think it, Tuesday left such a bad taste in everyone's mouth that you really needed what what you got from Nick Pavetta tonight. A complete game. It was, you know, there were questions about whether or not he'd come back out for the ninth. Cora decided to let him do it. Um, you know, that 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 just lifts the whole team when you see one of your starting pitchers go out and just ball like that. So and look, it, anything to get this thing turned around, you take it. So if if a win like that gets him going, by all means, take it. Yeah, just think of how different it could have felt um, recording right now after Altuve bats in the first. You know, like Monday night, amazing, long rain delay. They come back, they a hell of a win. Tuesday I, it was one of the most epic messes I think I've seen in a long time. And then tonight, you're like, oh, my God, more of the same. But no, just absolute dominance. And you just – you know the players are riding this high right now. Maybe the noise is finally getting to them, and they, they have to pull it together. On – what was it? Monday night's game? Yeah, game one. You, you had the rain delay. I'm not going to lie. I went to bed. I'm like – I am not losing any sleep over a late game meltdown. I'm just not doing it. And if I wake up in the morning and the Red Sox win, then it's a pleasant surprise and it's a good way to start the day. And that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. And then with Evaldi, I was looking forward to watching some baseball. I'm like, yeah, Nathan Evaldi's pitching against the Astros. I haven't seen a start that bad the the most recent one that comes to mind was the one David Price pitched in the Bronx on Sunday Night Baseball and just got absolutely torched. No one had ever heard of Kyle Higashioka before that game, and he took Price deep. And uh, Price, it was a similar line. He lasted uh, maybe an inning and a third, inning and two-thirds. But I don't remember a wallop that bad since then, and certainly Avoldi's not the guy you would ever expect that from. No, and it's it, I, I joked that like it's almost like he knew that the Celtics run at eight thirty. He's like, <laughs> here guys, game's over after the second inning, so you can all switch over now. <laughs> yeah, it was just yeah, and then tonight, you know, it, it went the right way, and it was we couldn't lose another series regardless of who it was. You can't, you couldn't go one and three again. So they they came out, they took care of business. And uh, so we'll uh, let's start getting into it right now. Uh, Jason, I've got you in the leadoff spot. So we're going to do studs and duds, starting with studs, since it was a series win. So go ahead. Who is your stud for the Astros series? I'm going with J.D. Martinez. Um, had another productive series, 5 for 12. Uh, unfortunately, had his 18-game hitting streak snapped today. So that was, I guess, a little disappointing for anyone keeping track of that. He did go over three in tonight's game, but drove in a couple of runs, um, another couple of doubles for him. He's got 12 doubles on the year now. So he's, he's racking up those extra base hits. He's taking advantage when guys are on base, uh, he's driving them in. So once again, he's just, it's, you know, we talk about it all the time, him, Devers, Bogarts, like they've been your most consistent hitters. And I fully expected JD Martinez to take a step back this season. I expected him to slow down a little bit. I was concerned about his bat speed slowing down. I was concerned about, you know, just eventually him kind of regressing a little bit, but he's, he has not regressed at all. He's, he's been right there. He's been productive every, you know, seems like 
from the beginning of the season. You know, it really seems like he hasn't slowed down at all. Um, and, you know, the power is, is slowly coming. I, I think it, you know, it, it will start coming more and more once we get into the warmer months. And if they really are bringing more juice baseballs back, which I think on this show, we certainly believe they are. So I, I'm, I'm very encouraged by what I'm seeing from JD Martinez. He has not slowed down one bit and he just continues to be one of the most consistent offensive performers. So it was great to see him have another good series. Yeah. And in order to kill his hit streak, it took two like sports center top 10 plays Kyle Tucker absolutely robbed a home run um, in what was that? The second inning, the first inning. And then Jeremy Pena in the seventh absolutely laid out for a ball up the middle. And it looked like the first baseman came off, but he held it back. Yeah. JD is rolling right now. He's in 325, the middle of the order. I mean, middle of the lineup right now, 340, 325, 336. Uh, don't look anywhere else. Just look at those. Um, yeah. They're they're He's just killing it. And He's the one guy that I wasn't sure how his contract year was going to go, but <laughs> he's making himself some money. Uh, good for him. Uh, he's really put on a showcase, and this market for him is going to be robust if he keeps this up for the next uh, four months or so. Put a percentage on him coming back to Boston next year. Oof. If I just say right now, I put it Casas got hurt the other night. It's not too serious. It's an ankle, I think, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely over 50. I might be in like the 55, 60% range of him coming back. Wow. Um, All right. Let me preface this. If they don't get rid of the qualifying um, system, because they can't reach an agreement on the international draft, I'm going to say 75%. Cause I think they'll give him the qualifying offer and they'll kill any other deals he'll get. It's actually a hundred percent. If they don't change that 50, 50, if they do. I'm in the same ballpark. I, I wouldn't put massive odds on it, but it's just hard to know how much bloom really values him and how he envisions, you know, utilizing that DH spot you know, we've we've heard Devers extension talks. We've heard uh, the Bogarts ones just won't die. Uh, Boris might have killed it finally. But um, you know that Evaldi hasn't had any talks, so we know that. You don't hear anything one way or the other about JD. Uh, some teams might lock him up early. Like some other front offices might prioritize him. We haven't really seen it with Bloom, so it's that's going to be one of the more fascinating things this offseason, if he doesn't get traded beforehand. If he gets traded, though, because we're out of it, say we're five or six below 500 in late July, then the percentages go way down. Would you agree with that on him coming back? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. I, yes. I think once you, once you trade a guy, yeah. The, the desire to want to come back to that team after they trade you, it pretty much diminishes. Yeah. 0% if they do that. Yeah. And once they're gone, I mean, it's not like it's, it's a big hassle to move because they already have basically, you know what I mean? So they're already kind of, you know, deacclimated from Fenway or whatever, <laughs> whatever the appropriate word would be. But, but 
it, it was a fun streak to watch. I wish it would have went a little longer because I feel like the the energy of the streak and and the hype kind of would be a little contagious on the rest of the offense and kind of you know help them create some momentum. So so we'll see, but we know he's going to hit and he's not a guy we really have to worry about. So all right, Andrew, go ahead. Your stud for the series. Mine was pretty easy. Um, it was Nick Pavetta. Pavetta led up a home run to Jose Altuve to lead off the game and didn't let up um, another, you know, he only let up one more hit after that. On April 20th, his ERA was 10.03. Today it sits at 4.22. Uh, he has found the in-game adjustments, and they are working great for him. He looks like a different pitcher, and <laughs> quite frankly, if this is what they have going forward, obviously he's not going to throw nine innings. If he can give you six, six and two-thirds strong every time out, he's a number three, and he is what you know this team has been lacking so far. Uh, he's been giving you, you know, at the beginning of the year, he was giving you four innings, and that wasn't cutting it. He's giving you two innings. That wasn't cutting it. The last time out, it was seven. Time before that, six. So everything's trending up in the right direction. And right now that trade looks like it's going to be a top 10 trade in Red Sox history. Uh, Brandon Workman, um, who was the other one? Heath He's Henry. Henry. Yeah. And then they hold Pavetta down to manipulate his, to- his service time and getting a whole nother, I think it was like a year or two on that contract. That was that was a master class right there, and it. <laughs> I mean, it's never good that they manipulate service time, but oh my god, what a, what a move! Yeah, Pavetta was dynamite tonight, and I really, for me, it was it, watching the performance. Obviously, he looked great, but hearing him post game, you know, when Jemai was talking to him, and he was just saying, "I had every pitch, every pitch was working for me. The curveball was there, even the split finger was there. His fastball looked great." Um, it was all about control with him. Like when he doesn't have control of those pitches, he walks the ballpark and he's a mess when he does have control and he's feeling good. I mean, those are all plus pitches. He's got a plus curveball, a plus fastball, the split finger, maybe not so much, but he he's got a good arsenal and he's one of those guys that when he's on like that, he can pound the zone and he's not going to get burnt too, too much. Altuve burnt him in the first inning, but after that he cruised. So it was just awesome to see that confidence. I love that he talked about, you know, him working with Dave Bush um, extensively on that. I think his last four starts, his ERA is under two. I think he's got like a 1.7 ERA in his last four starts. So he's absolutely found it. Something, you know, has clicked and he's figured out how to just get control of that arsenal again. And like you said, just be a really effective, you know, number three guy in this rotation and yeah, he's not going to pitch complete games every time, but he gives, if he gives you six, seven innings of that, I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. And yeah, I mean, going back to that trade, what a master stroke. I mean, that's just unbelievable, but that they've been getting this much production out of a guy that they traded two relievers for one of whom I'm not even sure is in baseball anymore. And the other who's wasting away with the Cincinnati reds poor Heath Henry. So, uh, yeah, it, unbelievable to, to see that again tonight. It was vintage Nick Pavetta, and let's just keep it rolling. Hopefully he, you know, continues to uh, feel, you know, feel himself and 
that arsenal stays sharp and gives us more quality starts like that. The timing of that trade was so perfect because they both fell off cliffs immediately. As soon as they got on the plane to Philly, they they were done. And had that happened a month earlier in Boston, you, you don't get that trade. You know, Philly gets relievers from someplace else. And so I don't know if it's going to be like top 10. I mean, it's still kind of, he loses his mechanics and I mean, his ERA was over 10. So I think it could be eventually a top 10, but it's just so ebb and flow at the moment, you know, but Every time he pitches, I, I like to see it because he, he sparks a ton of curiosity. What are you getting from him? Is he going to be the electric fired up Nick Pavetta or is he going to be nibbling and pitch counts through the roof by the end of the fourth inning? So uh, tonight it was certainly uh, not that. And you don't see complete games anymore. There's been seven all year. And and Pavetta's one of them, and nobody's done it twice so far. Oh, by the way, Max Scherzer, left side uh, soreness, so it's not an elbow, not a shoulder, and uh, he's a righty, so you know it's his other side. So I'm gonna boldly assume that's not gonna be a serious injury. But uh, going back to Pavetta, this is the neat thing. I feel this is my master score sheet. I have it uh, filled out every every show. It's got you know, all the batting lines for every game, all the pitching lines. And I hate writing out the pitching lines because it's the most time consuming part of it all. You know, the innings pitched, hits, earned runs, walk strikeouts. That's what I record. And I had to write down six pitchers for game one, uh, seven. I, and I didn't even write all seven for game two. And then I don't remember ever doing this, but I only had to write one pitching line <laughs> tonight because he pitched a complete game. I guess the last time it happened uh, in Boston was um, 2019. I don't remember who did that. Uh, it might have been Sale, but um, yeah. So it was good to see. And we do have Nick Pavetta under control for two more years beyond this. So um, his birthday's in February. So the first year of his free agent year he'll be going into uh age 32 so typically you're not going to command a huge deal at that point that's probably a two or three year deal four if he absolutely kills it in his contract year maybe and he will not be with the red Sox. you don't think so (laughs) nope (laughs) that'll be uh thank you for your service sorry you ruined your arm good luck you think (laughs) his arm will be ruined because he's not like a high velocity guy i feel like his arm will be fine. Oh, I, I think the whole point of them making that trade, and like Andrew said, manipulating the service time, is this is a juice the orange kind of deal. They're going to juice that orange as much as they can, and then by the time he's 32, ready for free agency, they're like, yeah, you, you've got enough mileage on you. We're good. <laughs> well, if he's cooked, he's cooked. But I just feel like an epic run through a postseason between now and then, I, I just think so much could could change that narrative, but you guys could be right. You know, we'll see. He's uh, insanely inexpensive though. So, um, hopefully it just continues to trend this way (laughs) because if we're going to crawl back into it, we certainly need it. Uh, 
All right. My stud for the series is uh, a guy who went six for 11, had hits in all three games. I meant to... uh, I meant to look up. I with JD streak. I was a little curious, but I'm going with Rafi Devers. Um, again, hits in all three games. Only struck out once the whole series. Three for four in game two with a uh, solo home run. Dude's a dude's an electric factory. I mean, he's part of that core that you know you guys were talking about with JD. And look at the the course of of history through the World Series era. Devers, Martinez, and Bogarts. That core of three players has been in place. This would be their, let's see, I think 18 was JD's first year. So this will be their fifth year together. How long, when was there another one that was together that long? I, I think with Poppy and Manny, it falls a year short. Well, actually, maybe that was almost just as long uh, if Manny would have went all through 2008 without being traded. But you had Pedroia and Ellsbury for a while with Poppy in there. They weren't necessarily together in the order because two of them were hit batting one, two. But this the point I'm making is this is a long time for, for three guys like that to – to be basically back-to-back in a lineup. And those are the three that are doing it right now for this team. Yeah, I, Raphael Devers is absolutely locked in right now. Um, you know, hit a, hit a triple today. That home run he hit on Tuesday was an absolute bomb. I mean, the deepest part of Fenway Park, and he made it look easy. So he's completely locked in right now. No pitcher wants to face him. Um, he's one of the most dangerous hitters in the American league at this moment. So, and defensively, he's been good. We, we haven't talked about his defense all year, which is a good thing. Cause usually if you're talking about third base defense, it's not for a good reason. So he's been solid over there defensively. He's been killing it at the plate. Um, and you know, again, I, I do worry about, you know, that core being the only ones responsible for offense, but you might as well ride it as much as you can until the other guys figure it out. So, you know, Raphael Devers is unfortunately uh, making himself more and more expensive by the day, but uh, he, he's proving just what a cornerstone piece he really is. Yeah, he's looked great. And the biggest thing is he's elevating the ball again. He was Rafi Divitz there for like two weeks. Everything was just getting just pounded into the ground, but he started lifting the ball again. Double started to come, home run started to come. Uh, this is what they need on a night in, night out basis. Uh, yeah, and like you said, Jason, he is making himself some money. So uh, the bit I, I had no fears about the bat. Um, I had all the questions about the uh, consistency when it came to fielding. That was my biz- biggest reservation when it came to giving him a long term deal. And I think that was also the Red Sox. I mean if this is a guy that you're going to have to move over to DH, cause you're not going to want like a five ten, you know, five eleven, whatever he is first baseman. I, I just, I think they were nervous that they were going to get locked, locked in long-term on a uh, DH. And I think this might be just, you know, washing away those fears. And <clears throat> Terry, to your point. Yeah, that is for, you know, 
in the last 20 something years, easily the longest duo we've had in a while. Uh, we, we haven't seen it mainly because the Red Sox have had horrific free agent signings when it came, when it comes to offense. I mean, you look, uh, Hanley and Pablo could have been that, but they were horrendous. They didn't even last a year together. Um, and before that, I mean, you look at Carl Crawford, he was, he was a complete bust. Pretty much any major free agent offensive signing they've had has been pretty terrible. So J, JD being the guy that they signed and showing up and make, being worth every penny has made a world of difference with the, the three, four, five consistency. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, JD is probably the best in a while. I mean, the only better one I could think of was Manny really. Uh, well, unless you want to count the, the poppy, you know, extensions, I guess, but there just hasn't been many offensively. Um, going back to Devers here, he's got a streak going too. 12 games, 12 game hitting streak. So that's not nothing. If he would have got a hit, in game two against the Angels, it would be a 21-game hitting streak. So, And didn't he have like a pretty long one coming into the year as well? Did he? He might have. Yeah, I, I thought he started off the year on a pretty long streak. He did, yeah. He, he had a streak that was at least 10 games or more dating back to last season. It was exactly... Hits in his first 10 games this season. So whatever the carryover was. Yeah, that's correct. And just going through these batting logs, I mean, in well over half of those games, they were multi-hit games as well. So the dude's just been absolutely raking. Where's his average at? 333 coming into today. Because this is baseball reference, so it takes a day. That's so annoying. I hate that. It's such a great site for so many other things. And he was two for three today, so that'll uh, go up at least a point or two um, as well. He could be hitting 350 here um, before long. But Devers continues to get done. And like Jason said, every home run he hits, that's an extra million on his uh, extension. <laughs> it's just... I said at the start of the season, and we can get into Xander here in a minute because we're doing honorable mentions, but these these extension talks, I said, would be very public. I didn't think they would be in our face on a daily basis. I didn't think – I figured some flare-ups here and there would do it. And Bogart's had uh, – two for nine doesn't sound impressive, but his two hits were home runs. One of them was very big because it took game one kind of out of reach. You got two insurance runs out of it. Red Sox win that one six to three. He said over the weekend, and we kind of covered this on the last show, that he is open to uh, extension talks if Boris and Bloom can work it out. If they can work out a fair deal was basically his key word that uh, he would be open to it, despite saying prior to the season he was shutting it down during the season. Well, the next day, his agent, Scott Boris, comes out and says, no, absolutely not. We, we will not discuss uh, you know, any extension talks. So, so player versus agent kind of contradicting each other there, not on the same page. Perhaps 
Bogarts got a tongue lashing from Boris. I'm going to ask you this question. And before I do, Scott Boris is generally great for his clients. Gets a lot of money, you know, billions of dollars over the last couple decades. Is Xander Bogarts the one unique client that maybe he's not good for? Maybe maybe Xander could benefit from different representation because he's about to take Xander Bogarts into a free agency that's going to have Trey Turner and Carlos Correa. Bo- Correa has much better second half numbers and postseason heroics. Xander doesn't have a ton of that. I think Correa is more attractive and Turner uh, isn't playing well at the moment, but it's early and that's bound to change. So I'm just wondering if if Boris is, is kind of going to hurt Bogarts possibly here by taking him into a crowded market. Yeah, I think that could definitely be true. And uh, and I'm sure that it goes both ways because I'm sure that Boris wanted to tear his hair out when he heard Sanders say that he was open to listening to the Red Sox during the season. Um, so I have no doubt that you're right. I, I think he probably called up Sanders that day and went, um, what are you doing? No, we're, we're not talking during the season. No, keep your mouth shut. Just go out there and play, and we're going to talk to them after the season. Um, because, again, if Boris just wants to get the most money for his client, and he knows that if Xander talks to them in the middle of the year, he's not going to get top dollar. Um, I still think even going up against Turner, going up against Correa, I still think Bogarts could get much more on the free agent market than he would from Boston. But I look at him, and I just think, He's making it very clear he wants to be here. This is not the Mookie Betts thing all over again. Mookie Betts was adamant that he wanted to reach free agency. And, you know, he he talked about it the whole time he was here. Xander Bogarts is kind of making it adamant that he doesn't want to hit free agency. He just wants a deal. And he wants a deal with Boston. And maybe that's why him and Boris are at odds, because Boris always likes to take his takes his guys to free agency. Um, I am curious about the relationship between Boris and Kyan Bloom, because I guess part of what Boris said is that, well, we'll look forward to talking with John and Tom once the season is over, meaning John Henry and Tom Warner. He, didn't he, didn't, yeah. he did not mention Kyan Bloom. And this is something that Tony Maz brought up today. He's like, there are some GMs that Scott Boris does not like dealing with. And he just goes over the head and he talks to the ownership. And he wonders if Kyan Bloom is one of those guys because, let's face it, Kyan Bloom, apart, you know, until Trevor Story, had not proven really that he wanted to spend a lot of money, which is not something that Scott, Scott Boris is going to like. So I think there's kind of like a three-way at odds here. Like Boris is at odds with Bloom. Sanders at odds with Boris. Boris is at odds with him too. Like it's very weird how the whole thing is shaping out and – Ultimately, I just I think it's going to be worse for the Red Sox and for Xander. Ultimately, yeah, Boris is a straight to ownership guy because he knows he can work them. I mean, the owners are not the smartest people in sport, but just in general, like not saying the Red Sox, just in general, are not the smartest and brightest of the groups. You know, they run off pride; they don't run off smarts. Here, you know, that's why they pay GMs and presidents millions of dollars each year. Um, what? Boris did the other day was throw the Red Sox a enormous life raft because 
you know, if talks don't go any better in the offseason, the Red Sox would say, yeah, you know, we tried. We knew Xander wanted to be here, but Scott doesn't want this. And um, I, I just it, – it, it's very interesting that, you know, Scott came out at the beginning of the year, said, it's not happening again. We're not letting Xander take another team-friendly deal. And then Xander says this. And it's just – like, I, I'd be pissed, too, if I were Scott Boris, quite frankly, because, like, you have Trey Turner starting to heat up. Um, Correa just came back from the IL, hit a home run, I think. Uh, it's it's a very difficult market, especially after what Scott went through last year with Korea and having to settle on three, what was the $35 million year, like a year deal for three years. Yeah. Opt-outs every single year. 105 over three years. So that's 35 per. <sighs> it's, it's just tough. I, I, I think he's probably very upset with Xander right now because, you know, I, I never believed that he would be completely shut off to dealing in season because whenever a paycheck with, you know, a two and a whole lot of zeros comes at you, I, I, I don't think you really care what, what date it says on the calendar, <laughs> you know, when, when pen comes to paper. See, I think Bogarts was seeing Seeger money and thought, Oh geez, is that really what my ceiling could be? And, I think the trade talks that flared up last week that really seemed like they were kind of frivolous. I think that kind of sketched Xander out a little bit. He's like, Oh my God, I, I could be traded. And, and I, I just, I really think that Xander wants no part of playing anywhere else. He really wants to play here. And Part of him might be resigned that he might be playing someplace else, but I don't think he's he's fully come to terms with it. Well, let me ask you guys this. Just one last angle here. It's already been a roller coaster with the, the Bogart thing. They lowballed him, and then you got trade talks, and now Xander's kind of balked a little bit on on his stance about negotiating in season. Who really has the leverage here? Is it is it Bogarts or or is it the Red Sox now? I still think it's Bogarts because I think I think he's going to have a really good season because that he's a really good player. So he can either you know like the the way he, the way it is for him right now is if he can't get something done with the Red Sox mid season, then he can blame Boris. He can say, "Hey, look, I said I was willing to talk. My agent shut that down." You know, that's the way it is. And if the Red Sox don't want to negotiate with him, he's going to have a really good 2022. And then he'll just say, okay, well, they clearly didn't want me. And he'll go sign a massive deal in the offseason. And, you know, either way, it's like no one is going to blame Xander Bogarts for this. He has said he's wanted to be here. He said he's willing to negotiate in the middle of the season after initially not wanting to. And he's playing great. So how can anyone fault him for what he's doing? He's doing his job. And he's trying to be willing to open to be open to negotiate. So I think he has the leverage over the Red Sox right now. I, I don't think the, the Red Sox have much, if any, at all. I think the player always has leverage, but I almost want to whip out and say neither. I think outside teams look at this and like just see that 
these two are just made for each other. It's like, just make out already, guys. Like, we, we know it's going to happen. Can you just do it? Like, is a team really going to sign Xander to an eight-year, $240 million deal, $225 million deal, and not know if they can play him at shortstop long-term when the Red Sox have kind of accepted what he is? and have played him at shortstop this whole time. He doesn't want to change positions. Are you really going to convince him to come in, change everything he knows, switch positions? We all saw what happened last time he switched positions. I don't know. I just don't see it being a good result for either side if they break up. Because I think in the back of their heads, they'll always want, you know, if they if they go their separate ways, they're always going to look back and be like, wow, I should have ended up with that person. You know, I just, I, I really feel like they should come together, figure something out and not too much on, you know, I want, it should sting for both sides when they make concessions. I think the Red Sox have a little bit of leverage here because if I'm Xander, I'm, I'm telling Scott Boris, I'm like, well, look, you couldn't even get Correa a mega deal last season. And now you're going to take us both in the next season and we're both going to get mega deals. I just think if Xander gets a number he's comfortable with, which I'm guessing would probably be 150 to 200 at this point. I just feel like he would cave and take it. And I'm just wondering if the Red Sox are sensing that as well. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but that's just, that's just kind of my read on it. But but the, those are the twists and turns, and we'll we'll see if anything happens uh, next week, you know, with with this. But uh, all right, more honorable mentions. Let's see how many there are. Not a lot of great batting lines outside of the guys we covered. Kike, kind of sneaky with his four for thirteen, had hits in uh, every uh, game this series. Drove in a run today in the series finale. Uh, that's probably about it for the offense, but, uh, Garrett Whitlock game one hadn't looked great. Had been nibbling lately, not sharp, not efficient, but that was not the case in game one, uh, five innings pitched only gave up three hits, did walk a couple only struck out three, but was kind of quietly in control throughout the, uh, the entire outing thoughts on Whitlock. Yeah, I thought he looked a lot better um, this time around. I still, I don't love the walks. Um, does still feel like he nibbles a lot and, and tries to paint a little too much. Um, you know, I'd rather he just trust his stuff a little bit more and attack the zone a little bit more. But I also understand that he's, you know, just kind of getting into the swing of starting. So um, that may take time for him to get to that level where he's like an Evaldi and a Pavetta where he just trusts his stuff a little bit more and just goes after hitters. So Hopefully that that evolution is coming, um, but he did look a lot better, and I still don't like him there. But I've just kind of accepted the fact that it looks like he's staying in the rotation for the foreseeable future, and might as well just enjoy it while he's there because he is one of their best pitchers on the staff. Yeah, and I think Cora giving them you know roles was that yesterday or this morning. I forget, but um, yeah, saying that Halk is in the bullpen. 
Garrett Whitlock is your starter. I think that is going to probably put his mind at ease a little bit. He knows he's not going to get bounced around. Uh, this is a hard lineup to face, and he did a pretty damn good job. So um, pretty good stuff out of Whitlock. I, he's, his strikeout numbers have absolutely gone down. Um, I'll be curious to see if there's a tick up next time. Um, I think he'll have the Mariners in the – last game in the series if i'm not mistaken so he'll have another good lineup to face and that'll be a good another good challenge for him i like what i saw and this is a team that can rattle you and he was not rattled so uh impressive uh outing there pitching actually uh, outside of one guy that we'll talk about shortly wasn't that bad. I, I don't like seeing Barnes in a relatively high leverage spot. I don't remember if the game was tied or if we were up one, but comes into a critical spot, gives up a run. Uh, luckily, it, it didn't hurt us. We we won that game anyway, but just so tired of seeing, like, what do they expect out of this guy? Look, but, can I defend Barnes for, like, 30 seconds here? Oh, no, it's not Go defending. Ahead. Not not All not right. his outing. People on Twitter were mad that he was laughing. Um, oh yeah, but it was so clear that both those plays, like if he didn't have bad luck at this point, he had no luck at all. The ball on left could have been caught. The ball at the middle had a point zero one zero uh, hit, hit percentage. <laughs> so you know it was just it was just trash luck. So he wasn't laughing because he was he didn't care. He was laughing about how like just crap it's going for him right now. I'd rather see him uh, utilize like he was in game two, just mop up duty, or or perhaps if we're way ahead, you know, then let him let him get his work in that way. Um, the one kind of impressive thing about this whole thing, there was only three walks total by Red Sox pitching. Two of them were were Whitlock, as we said. The other one was Deekman. Nobody else gave up a walk the whole series, so. <laughs> It's uh, pretty impressive for uh, a lineup that's uh, pretty robust like Houston is. Um, Strom looked good. One and two-thirds, three strikeouts. None of the other guys really uh, really stood out. Uh, so, all right, let's uh, get over to the duds before it gets too late. Jason, your dud for the series. Yeah, this this was a layup. Um, Nathan Avaldi, it's my dud. Um, boy, that was that was just brutal. I mean, you know, literally a historically brutal start from Nathan Avaldi, giving up five home runs. Um, look, I I do chalk it up to it being a blip on the radar. He's not this bad. He's not gonna you know fall off a cliff. He's gonna be okay. Do I think you're gonna get the Nathan Avaldi from 2021? That was you know, the fourth runner up in the Cy Young voting. No, I don't think you're going to get that. Cause I think that was also a little bit of an outlier. I think he performed above water last year, but he's going to be fine. He's going to have, you know, his usual kind of ERA in the mid threes. He's going to strike guys out. He's going to give you, you know, many more quality starts down the stretch. Um, the only thing that, again, I brought it up on last week's show and it reared its ugly head is the home runs. He went into that game leading the league in most home runs allowed with nine. He now has 14, <laughs> 14 home runs allowed on the season through barely eight starts. Um, that is massively concerning. So, 
Uh, that part, I he's got to cut down on. I don't know if it's just because he's he's hanging pitches or he's not, you know, getting the fastball by guys. I'm not sure. Um, I mean, this last start, it was everything. The fastball was left over the plate. The curveball was left right over the middle of the plate. Like, it's not like he was making good competitive pitches and the Astros were just hitting the ball really well. He was making batting practice pitches and they were just launching. So hopefully it was just a weird blip and and he'll get himself sorted and and he'll be much better next time out but that home run count keeps going up and that is a major red flag yeah i woke up tuesday morning and i was like you know i really miss kyle hart and then <laughs> nate Evaldi, he, he you know he made me reminisce now that was really bad <laughs> just he looked like pete alonzo's home run derby uh pitcher that night and everything was just grooved right down the middle and we talked about it last week i was like i can see your alvarez getting this guy you know i thought he was gonna probably get prevented too i think that was my bold predict bold prediction but yeah they just teed off that was embarrassing i don't know what the hell is going on with the home run itis that he's got going on but he's gonna break a record for most home runs allowed a year if he continues you know like if he's letting up to a game we can't have this. And that I don't know what Dave Bush can do to get him back into the right mindset or if it's a catching issue. Um, I don't know if it's a Pulawecki thing, um, but they have to figure something out quick. Yeah, that was Pulawecki catching him, which is per the usual. Do, um, do we know what he did when Connor? I'll, I'll look it up, but do we know what his start was? With Connor Wong, does anyone? Do you it guys... was pretty good. I think Wong had a a really good uh, night that night. All right, I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, yeah, because I thought I remember the pitching in general being pretty good when Wong was up here. Anytime yeah. he was on the plate. Because I went on a tangent about you know, look, Wong can do it. Get rid of Vasquez. <laughs> um, but with Avaldi, he typically does pound the zone. He's not. He's not trying to get guys to chase a lot of the time on the outer part of the plate or whatever. He, he pounds the zone and I think it was a perfect storm. I, I think the Astros knew they could kind of sit on him. The wind was blowing out to, to right field. So the ball had a tailwind. I think the balls are a bit juiced right now. They're certainly not the deadened balls that, that they were hitting uh, for all of April. So I think there were a lot of factors here in play. Now, the one thing I, I, this conspiracy theory had to have been floated because I'm not smart enough to just make it up on my own. But, you know, could the Astros have been tapping into Pitchcom? I don't know. Someone's going to try it, right? I mean, somebody will try it. So I, I don't know. Maybe they had, like, hearing aids in and they could hear it. Uh, or I mean, we know how much the Astros are are into analytics. They've got some good nerds over there. They're, so I'm, And they're I'm, innovative. I'm sure they've got one. They are innovative. Yeah. So... I don't know what happened there, but um, his uh, his run went up. Uh, his ERA went up a full run, basically four thirty two now. So um, ugly start, but that's the typical Evaldi. Every even before last year when he was good, every third or fourth start he would get slapped around, and and that was the case. And the home runs he was lucky with, and most of them were solos and, and whatnot. So. Um, really quick i i I do have that start for volley with wong it was that game where he let up that weird home run to zach collins and that was it 
Okay. Uh, he was pretty lights out against a very, very good Toronto lineup. And it was a low scoring game, right? It was. Yeah. yeah. The uh, final was two to one and the Red Sox won. Yeah. So, so that Ploiecki? is he gone? I mean, I, I guess you would have to get rid of Ploiecki over Vasquez. I mean, to bring Wong up, but the the only pause I would have is how often do they want Wong getting at bats? Because if they feel it has to be every day, I mean, look what's happening with Royal right now. I think Arroyo's yeah. lines would be better if he was in there, but uh, but then he would probably get hurt as well. So damned if you do, damned if you don't with Arroyo. So I I don't know. Uh, I think Wong could be a very good hitter. I mean, he led the the minor leagues a few years ago, didn't he, with home runs? With 28, I think. Um, I'm not saying he's going to hit, hit that up here, but, I mean, the, the dude can hit. So, um, yeah, so dud for Evaldi, but I'm sure he'll bounce back. Andrew, you're dud for the series. So my dud for the series is Alex Verdugo. I was very complimentary of him last time out on the pod, on the weekend pod on Sunday night. Uh, he has had a lot of bad luck. I don't know what needs to change. Um, I haven't exactly been a huge fan of some of his fielding in left field lately, too. I think there's been some weird plays in the left corner, uh, some balls bouncing that I didn't think should bounce. He made a nice play tonight. I'll give him that. I think he's really wrapped up in his own head, um, and that will happen when you're hitting it, smoking it at the shortstop who's – eight feet to the right of second. And I don't really blame him, but yeah, they're going to have to figure out a approach. Some, uh, I, I don't, I don't know what they have to do. I don't know if it's a fan of IL for 10 days and Duran comes up for a second, but they need to get him right. Because if you looked at the beginning of the year, he was, he was the best left fielder in the AL. He was on fire. The Red Sox looked a lot better. Um, and he, he's just a shell of himself at this point. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with Verdugo. And it, it is kind of on both sides. It's defensively and offensively. One thing that's kind of driven me nuts watching him in left field is like anytime there's a 50-50 ball between him and Kike, it's like he's not communicating and he's not listening. Because there's been a few near collisions out there between those two. And there's always like a discussion afterwards, even if the play is made cleanly, which it usually is. It's like those two can't get on the same page, and I would bet that's more Verdugo than Kike because I think Kike is too good of a defender to let that happen. And then at the plate, when's the last time we saw Verdugo hit the ball the other way? I mean, that that was one of the things that made him so good when he first came over here is that, like, he can hit the ball to all fields. He can hit it up the middle. He can obviously pull. But he also had that ability to, you know, hit the ball to, to left field. Like We have saw him hit oppo home runs in the into the monster last year and it's one of the things that made him such a dynamic left-handed hitter now it feels like every at bat is a ground ball to second base i mean that's that's all we saw today i think i think every at bat he hit a ground ball to second base today and it's like he's hooking the ball he's he's massively pulling it um so yeah it just feels like he's in his own head a little bit and i don't know how you fix that because He's obviously a really talented hitter. We saw it, like you said, just earlier this season. It's not like this has been, you know, he, he did have a pretty decent April. And then all of a sudden it's just, it, it's disappeared. 
So I, he's got to get with one of the 18 hitting coaches the Red Sox have, and, and they've got to figure out what's going on there because um, it's just, he looks like a different guy. It's, it's not, not fun to see. He only has, and I, I said this on the last show, uh, only two extra base hits since April 18th. So that's uh, just about a month. Let's say today is the 18th, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So two extra base hits in a month, and his last home run came on April 16th. So... Not a lot there in the power department. Andrew did break down the, you know, the hardcore analytics from baseball savant, and he is unlucky in a lot of ways. But still, I just eventually you got to figure it out, and adjustments needed to be made. And I don't, you just don't see him making those. And but his saving grace is there's no outfield depth. I mean, who are you more pessimistic about right now, Verdugo or Bradley? I mean, Verdugo's in every time over Bradley. <laughs> it's just you just we don't have depth out there. My 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 Nick Castellanos remorse is just like growing just every day. Could have could have had him. I I will say he does have to be a little bit careful though because Jaron Duran is heating up big time down AAA. Now, obviously, there's defensive concerns, but if you stick him in left field those concerns aren't as bad. So, um, I mean, I think Bradley is still ultimately more at risk at losing his everyday job, but Franchi played out there today and he's kind of hitting. And if Verdugo's not careful, like Duran is, is really making a case for being on the big league roster. I think Jackie lost his everyday. And I think they're putting him into that platoon role that they wanted him in, um, with Franchi going out there today. Um, yeah, I don't know what the roster move is. I I tweeted it out. I think it was end of last week. I said Christian Arroyo's days are numbered. I don't see him being on this team in three weeks. I Maybe that's the move because has anyone seen him? He got one random game in uh, over the weekend. I think Durant could come up and take it because you know what? You figure out, uh, you figure out uh, Verdugo and Kike and – you know, you play the kid Duran in left, try to get a jump start to this lineup. And if Kike wants to play second on a date, story needs a spell. And then you put Verdugo into center. I don't know. They're going to start getting to the part to the point where they're going to mix and match because they they have some dead, just dead bodies on this team. But that's four out of five potential outfielders if you're putting Franchi out there that are lefties. I just can't wrap my head around that. How do you make that work? <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's not yeah, it's not great, but I, I mean, mean I think Bradley be could worse, be the guy. Right? Bradley could be <laughs> the guy gone, I think. I don't think Brad Bradley play. I would just keep him on the bench. Uh just put him in, in the seventh, eighth inning. Well, you ideally you would, but I just don't I don't see it. And I'm not saying I mean, you got no use right now for Arroyo, no matter what happens. I mean, even if you don't bring up Duran, you just got no use for this guy. It's, I mean, and if they need someone in a pinch, they can call up Arous and plug him wherever they want. So uh, it's just, we'll see. 
for my dud, I could have went a bunch of different ways. I'm going to go with Dahlbeck. I mean, he was 0 for 2, although he did draw two walks. But has the the ship sailed on his career? I wouldn't say career. I, I would certainly say his everyday playing time at this moment, yes. Um, his The only thing working for him is that he's still young. He's, what, 26, I think. So he's still under 30. There's still a team out there. If the Red Sox wanted to explore it, that would take a shot on him. And they would say, yep, he's still got power. We can fix him. So I wouldn't say the ship has sailed in his career, but um, he's definitely, his value has plummeted for sure. He could go to Pittsburgh. (laughs) He could. Pittsburgh seemingly can fix right-handed hitters. So... Yeah, no, um, he definitely not. I think he's another kind of head case right now. Not like in terms of people what may think head case means, but I think he's in his own head. I think he's down on himself completely. I think if you saw him go down to Worcester, he might hit 750 with like four home runs a game. <laughs> kind of one of those things. I, I think he'd tear the cover off the ball. And uh, that might be what they need to do but like we just talked about with duran um what are you gonna do bring tristan Cassis up and play him every day there's your lefty again so you're running into you have a lot of left-handed organizational depth that is ready to help but you're kind of creating some more issues um one guy i just wish they could figure something out with he's out here in colorado it's cj crone i wanted him last year but they were like we're not trading him we're irrelevant. We want to just keep signing guys that don't want to be here. And he's got 10 home runs on the air. He had his 10th today. I, he'd be such a good fit with this team. I It, it annoys me. I, I swear you just read my mind because I was literally going to say, wouldn't Bobby Dahlbeck make a great first baseman for the Colorado Rockies? No, because my car insurance would go up because he'd be breaking windshields <laughs> everywhere. So I no, mean... <laughs> But like, and you're right, because it's it's a shame that you know they're they're going to hang on to CJ Crone and they're not going to trade him, and they probably won't even take Dahlbeck. But yeah, like that's that's why I say the ship hasn't sailed on his career because if he were to go to Colorado, he would hit 40 home runs a year or at least close to it, pretty easy. And you know that's because he'd go he'd be playing on the moon half the season. But yeah, like it, I I think a destination like that would would work out for him. But you know. I don't think a trade is likely. I don't think Colorado would give you anything of substance back. So maybe he does need a triple A stint, but like Andrew said, what do you do? Call up another left-handed hitter. I mean, you do need some balance in your lineup. So they're just kind of stuck right now, which, which really sucks. I think you would call up our ooze again. I I think that would be the call up to, and and Franchi would probably still get most of the time, but, um, but why not do that? Why not just send him down and, and let him try to get right? Cause it's not going to happen up here. He's got Tristan Casas hanging over his head and there's no urgency. There's no, Oh my God. I mean, I, I might not be wearing this Red Sox uniform for much longer because the, there's going to be no need for me anywhere. Uh, there's just nothing. There's no, there's no urgency. There's no trying to find a spark. There's he's just giving you nothing. He's hitting, I think, one sixty one. It's yeah, and isn't um is Ref Snyder down in AAA? I think so. So like, why not call him up? I mean, you you mentioned Arauz, but like, 
Ref Snyder's a right-handed hitter who can he play be a lot of different not positions. On the, he's not on the 40, unfortunately. So, oh, so there you go. Yeah. yeah. So, so they, it would have to be Aru's. Yeah. So he got DFA'd and then outrighted? So how no, he was a COVID-19 call-up. That's oh. why he was up with the team. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So I just, I wish, man, I just wanted to see more of what we saw in the second half with Dahlbeck. And, uh, Bradley's having a better year than him. I didn't think that would happen, but um, okay. Uh, we're running kind of late here. So, I mean, as far as dishonorables go, Vasquez one for six, Pulecki one for five, not getting much out of your catching. That's kind of why we alluded to the Wong thing. Um, we didn't give Trevor Story any credit, but he did hit his first home run at Fenway in the uh, honorable mentions. Three for ten, so I guess I'll just throw that out there now. But um, da- Tyler Danish, two and a third, kind of got shelled, but <laughs> the sky had already fell at that point anyway. Um, so yeah, not not a whole lot to complain about in the series. So let's uh, get over to the pitching matchups, which we have three out of the four, and I think the TBD will be Michael Walker, but. Uh, so game one to, uh, on Thursday night, seven ten. Uh, George Kirby versus Rich Hill, who's kind of on a hot streak. I'm pulling up Kirby's page right now. I've never heard of the guy. He's got a 0.9 ERA. He's one of the best pitching prospects in the game. Okay. He, he's an animal. Yeah, right. he, he's great. Well, that's who we're facing game one. Uh, Two uh, outings so far. I'm guessing they might have been five innings apiece. No, a four-inning outing against the Mets. Three hits, one earned run. Only one strikeout, though. And then his first start of the year was six innings against Tampa. Four hits, no runs, no walks, seven strikeouts. So who knows what we're going to (laughs) see. I might be tempted to just lead Devers off, move everybody up one in the order. Uh, against this guy and see if you can get him off to a bad start. But Yeah, this is one where you, you kind of have to hope Rich Hill can do his thing and, and keep you in it um, for at least, you know, five, maybe even six innings if, if you can get it because, yeah, Kirby's pretty nasty. Death, taxes, and the Red Sox sucking against the guy for the first time in his career uh, that they see him. Uh, that's George Kirby. He was the 28th prospect in all of baseball. Uh, it's actually going to be really fun to watch him. And fortunately, you know, we're going to be on the, the end that's going to be trying to hit him. Uh, don't expect to hit through, you know, seven, eight, nine batters. Uh, hopefully, two, three, and four can do some damage here. So, who are we picking? I'm picking Seattle. I just don't trust the Red Sox to hit a guy first time. Yeah, I've, I've got Seattle on that one too. Um, not not Rich Hill's fault. I, I I think he'll do okay, but I think Kirby is is going to be a problem. I'm picking the Red Sox. I, I don't have much to base that on. I, I'm just hoping that we've got some momentum, and I'm just gonna. Fenway's been so docile, it's not going to be like hysterical. So I don't think they're going to like get to Kirby in any way. But game two, Friday night, Robbie Ray versus again, assuming Michael Waka. Who do you guys like in that one? That one, assuming it is Waka, and I think it will be, 
I actually will take the Red Sox in that one. They've seen Robbie Ray before. Um, I don't know exactly how well they've done against him, but they they are familiar with him. So, and you know, Michael Walker has been one of your better pitchers this year. So the injury and coming back from injury doesn't concern me that much. I think he'll keep them in it, and I think the Red Sox will. Their offense will score enough. Uh, it'll be a close one, I think, but I, I could see them beating Robbie Ray. I was never sold on Robbie Ray. I didn't want Robbie Ray in a Red Sox uniform uh, this offseason. Um, hoping that the team's a little pissed off at him right now because he can make the trip to Toronto. Uh, I say the Red Sox hit him. I think if I think we're looking at a um, high offensive game for both teams. Well, Ray has given up some runs, five in his last outing, but still struck out nine. Uh, and then two outings ago against Tampa, uh, gave up four earned in that one. So hopefully the Red Sox can can get to him. Um, hopefully Waka, the, the little bit of rust he may have from the two-week stint on the IL, uh, doesn't uh, play a factor. But I'll, uh, I'll take Boston in that one as well. Uh, let's see. Game three. Chris Flexen versus Garrett Whitlock. Flexen, not off to a great start. I think the expectations were a little bit higher for him. Um, but Whitlock is coming off of a good start. How do you guys see that one going? Well, I like the Red Sox in that one as well. My only concern is that Chris Flexen has beat them before. Um, he pitched against them, I think, last year and went seven innings, struck out seven. Um so even though he's having a rough season, so far he's one and six and isn't looking that great. Um, I just worry that again, it's like Red Sox, once once the guy is has success against them, they can't seem to buck that trend a whole lot. So hopefully they score some runs. Hopefully Whitlock is on, but I kind of like the Mariners on that one just because I, I like their matchup better than ours. I'm going with the Red Sox. I this is the one pitching guy I really, really don't fear. And Chris Flexen, watch me be completely wrong, but I think they can handle him. Um, I'm going Boston. <laughs> going Boston, too. No way they win three straight, like I've predicted, but going with them. Uh, game four in the series, Logan Gilbert, who I believe is, was one of their better prospects. Andrew can correct me on that one versus Nathan Avoldi, who's looking to uh, hopefully uh, get rid of that post home run syndrome uh, disorder. He's uh, battling. How do you guys see that one? I'm taking the Red Sox in this one um, because I think Evaldi's going to bounce back big time. I think that he's, probably really, uh, really pissed off about the way this last start went. Uh, Logan Gilbert is nasty. Again, another guy who pitched well against the Red Sox last time out, struck out nine batters over five innings the last time he faced us. So um, he's good, but I just think if going to come out, you know, with a big bounce back performance and hopefully the offense scores enough runs for him, but I think they will. So I think the Red Sox will take, take that last game. Yeah, I had the Red Sox in the series three to one, so I got to give this one to them. Um, I do like Logan Gilbert a lot. You are correct; he was another top thirty league wide prospect um, that the Mariners had. You're going to see fastballs most of the time, fastball sliders, pretty good velocity, about 95, 96 ish. 
he gives up a lot of good hard contact. So, if, you know, God willing, we get some lively baseballs. Hopefully we can uh, tattoo the wall. That's going to be the best bet. They're going to need to score some runs. If they can stay off a slider, then maybe maybe they can sit on the fastball. So uh, I'm, I'm going to, for the sake of it, take the Mariners in that one because I, in my right mind, can't predict a Red Sox sweep here. Um, but I think they could give Avoldi fits. There's no way under the sun he'll be as bad as he was in his last uh, outing. But uh, we'll see. Dangerous team, though, despite the uh, bad record on paper. They're they're talented. They can pitch. They can hit. Um, so it's good to be getting them out of the way, hopefully with a little bit of momentum. So I think we'd be happy with a split here, as bad as we desperately need to, um, you know, just rack up the wins. We're seven under, so we've been gaining a game each series uh, so far. So... We'll wrap on that. We'll be back tomorrow for deep dives. Hope everyone has a good Thursday. Take care.